The Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. And this week, or I guess this show, since we seem to have uh, released shows a little bit closer together than just a week, but this show is uh, going to be a review of Nightmare Alley by Guillermo del Toro. And uh, yeah, let's, let's kind of get into this. Um, so the synopsis of this film, it's a remake of a older film as well as it is. I don't, actually, I don't know that it's so much a remake of that film as it is um, based on the book written by William Lindsay Gresham. And uh, it's just kind of a reimagining of that novel, I believe. Um, that's kind of how uh, Guillermo del Toro has described it. And so the, the synopsis of this film uh, is in 1940s New York, down on his luck, Stanton Carlyle endears himself to a clairvoyant and her mentalist husband at a traveling carnival. Using newly acquired knowledge, Carlyle crafts a golden ticket to success by swindling the elite and wealthy. Hoping for a big score, he soon hatches a scheme to con a dangerous tycoon with help from a mysterious psychiatrist who might be his most formidable opponent yet so danny what did you think of guillermo del toro's nightmare alley well the last time we were talking about movies and this was not i don't think recorded but we were i told you i like movies that continue to tell the story until the very last shot of the movie and this is one of those movies for sure and uh it is a movie that not only tells a story until the very last shot of the movie, but the very last shot kind of, I think almost is maybe one of the best parts of the movie in some ways. And that's all I'm going to say about the, the movie. Uh, everything seems to be building towards that moment. And uh, it, uh, I think the movie itself is already good, but that moment makes it, that much better um i really love this movie at first i wasn't really sure what to think of it after watching it but the more i got away from it the more i kind of was i started do, watching some interviews with guillermo del toro and listening to him kind of talk about it and i think he's just a really thoughtful filmmaker and he's really great with symbolism in his movies and he's good at um encapsulating moods really well in his movies and uh even though there's definite like noir feel to this movie that can sometimes make the uh characters and the plot feel somewhat kind of manufactured i didn't really mind that it it felt like it was so deliberate that i was willing to kind of excuse some of that um but there, this movie's dark, it takes some really dark turns at various times. And at the same time, for me at least, I felt like it was able to say something about humanity in a way that, uh, I mean, we've probably seen stuff like this before, but this felt very, um, I don't know, specific maybe to our time when I feel like right now there's a lot of crappiness and there's a lot of people doing bad things and stupid things and doing things that are for your their self-interest and 
the way people manipulate others uh that is a big theme in this movie and so that's why i think it's a good movie for this time is it's talking about something that we see a lot of today you know so i i was a big fan and i'm curious with you seeing it more recent recently where you're at right now with this movie so this is my favorite movie of the year um i gave it a 10 out of 10 and i just think that it hits in every element of the film. And despite the fact that this is a two and a half hour movie, it did not feel like a two and a half hour movie. Um, And something that I notice is it just seems like he keeps the scenes moving very fast. Um, We get a lot in a very short period of time, specifically at the beginning of the movie. I feel like the beginning moves very, very fast and uh it works like there's not really that lull we kind of talked about with the power of the dog how um there isn't a lot of wasted time and uh, i kind of feel that way about this movie is that every scene has a purpose and uh i think i can i cannot wait to watch this movie again um now having got to the end which I think the ending of this movie is probably my favorite moment in cinema for the entire year, um, which says a lot because there are a lot of really, really, really good moments, but that just brings, it just brings the entire movie together for a movie that I already enjoyed a lot. Um, But yeah, nearly every aspect of this movie is close to perfect. And uh, I, I can't quite wrap my head around why, this movie is not getting the love that it deserves because I think this is a better movie easily than The Shape of Water, which ended up winning Best Picture, um, which The Shape of Water is great because it's a great craft, but from the messaging and kind of the way that it's delivered, I think this movie is just better. Um, it just I think it has more to say in a uh, s- sort of um, accessible messaging that I think nearly everybody can kind of take something away from or it's something that we observe uh and I've never seen the original film uh I'm kind of glad that I've never seen the original film because I think it allowed me to experience some of the stuff uh without really knowing that much about the story Mm -hmm. um but yeah this is a absolutely beautiful film from top to bottom and uh we can kind of start to tap into some of those different pieces here um but yeah favorite movie of the year this far i would be, i'd be very surprised if anything knocks it off the i'm really happy that you loved it this much because i wasn't i was i felt like you could go either way on it and well i think i think that it has first of all they make the most of let's just start with talking about i think the cast and the, the performances because yeah. they really make the most of having an ensemble cast where those people really do get to shine in some of the moments. I don't think that they are giving the best performances of their careers, but all of them are good. I would say. Oh yeah. I mean, they, Guillermo del Toro went out and probably put together one of the best ensembles uh, that he possibly could because every corner has a, 
big time actor who's not just like a blockbuster star, but who is a legitimately good actor mm-hmm. and has put forth some absolutely amazing performances. And one of the things about this film, because there are so many characters, it would be really, really easy to waste some of these great performers. And I don't feel like there are any truly wasted performances in this. Um, Some of them are obviously smaller than other people, but when they're on screen, Guillermo del Toro allows them to really do their thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is super cool because there's so many movies we watch where they have a lot of big name actors and it almost feels like their inclusion in the film is wasted because they're so much more talented than the performance that they're, they're being given um, Mm -hmm. as an actor. Uh, And that's not the case here. You, like you said, for many of these, obviously this isn't their uh, best performance of all time, but it's, they're all still very, very good performances. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the lead, uh, Bradley Cooper. I, this is a great performance, and you know it's it's a tough role to play because, for one, he's a guarded character. He doesn't really want you to know a lot about him, so there's layers that you have to play. That's kind of similar to Phil Burbank in a way. The character yes. Bum- Cumberbatch is playing. At the same time, he has to kind of be able to pull off being. Um, somebody that you could trust, but somebody that you don't trust at the same time. And he, at times, you empathize with him a lot. And at other times you're like, I actually don't know if I should empathize with him. And right. the, the, uh, what I'll say is that from the very beginning, you are questioning his motives because the very first scene in the movie is him dragging a body, putting it in the ground of a house, and then lighting a match to that body and the rest of that house. So he's morally a quizzical character that you're not sure if you can trust. And so, but that's all visual. There's no dialogue to set that up. You just, in that sticks in your mind to set up this whole story arc for him. And uh, for Bradley Cooper to be able to show the kind of nuances of that and be able to allow you to kind of still like him even though you know at times he's doing the wrong thing right that is really amazing and so it's something that i think is interesting that i want to talk about with this is they had talked about how leonardo dicaprio was supposed to play this role right and i i think leonardo dicaprio would have done a really good job but i think that he is maybe weirdly enough less charming than bradley cooper is unless you wouldn't be able to i think you would by that he is a bad guy if it was Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio more. Yeah. Whereas you have to trust that he's a good guy during this right. story. Yeah, because this this story relies heavily on you being able to uh, empathize with him um, and like really kind of get on board and want him to be successful, uh-huh. even though he at times is doing some pretty shady things because all the characters in this movie are doing some shady things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think this is a performance that through repeated viewings is going to get better and better and better mm-hmm. because you watch as this character grows into something entirely different from the beginning to the middle to the end. Mm-hmm. And he, he essentially has to play a 
kind of different version of this same person throughout the entirety of the film. And that is a very, very, very difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, This performance and uh, Better Day Cumberbatch's performances are my two favorite performances of the year. And I haven't quite decided which one I, if if I had a vote for best actor, which one I would want to cast uh, my my vote in favor of, because they're both very, very good. And they do similar things, which, I think from the standpoint of how we talk about performances, uh, we don't give enough credit to these nuanced performances that are doing a lot of stuff with their body in their facial expressions and doing a lot of acting that's beyond delivery of lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you made the the comment about how the beginning of the movie, there's no dialogue and we just kind of watch as this unravels. One thing that I noted was it was about 10 to 15 minutes in the movie before Bradley Cooper says a single line of dialogue. Exactly. Yeah. And I was going to talk about that with you too, is it, it is, we can talk about that in terms of story, but it's a pretty big deal for Bradley Cooper to be a character that you're invested in and you already kind of have this connection with him and he hasn't said a single thing. And so like, that's a tough role put, position to put your actor in. And I think that Bradley Cooper pulls it off. The other thing too, that I like about Bradley Cooper is he is an actor who, while being a pretty big name star is not like his starness isn't taking away from the role. Right. I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio would take away from the role. He he blends into the story, whereas other actors like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon don't, don't blend very kind of bigger than the role. Yeah. And so yeah. this that really worked for me. Um it's it's kind of we could talk about, you know go in any which direction because there's so many big performances and good performances well, what, what was kind of the next standout for you well i think you got i think kate blanchett is the other gigantic standout because there's there's just this tension between these two performances um that also kind of progresses in different ways throughout the film Mm -hmm. um and i we've talked about this in the past there are certain scenes where you have two great actors and some sometimes you get these scenes where you have a great actor and then a good actor and the great actor kind of drowns the other one out but in this film when the two of them are on screen together like there's just like kind of this dueling balance where they kind of just they they hold their own and it it it's just it's magic like yeah. that that is what I love about cinema when you have performances that like they you just enjoy every moment that they're on screen together and that's right. the way I felt with this Kate Blanchett performance in Kate Blanchett uh she's clearly more decorated now than uh, Bradley Cooper um because she's she's won does she won two Academy Awards. Yeah. So she's, and she's very, very good in everything she's in and she can play very, very different roles. Mm -hmm. Um, In this, this is just a very layered performance because you don't quite know what to think of her either in a very similar way. They're kind of equals in that um, the, the much of this film is about, I don't know what to believe. Um, Mm -hmm. 
that's very, very purposeful, but it doesn't work if the performances aren't great. And both of these performances are so great. Right. And just to talk about her a little bit more, she is the type of actor who generally, when she's in a scene, you are totally focused on her, but her, just her uh, character in this movie is so like uh, powerful that like she just takes up the room and, and instantly and it's amazing because the when we're introduced to her she is in a scene where Bradley Cooper's character is performing and in that moment you you kind of are questioning is she part of this performance because she's so she's like just takes a lot of power in that scene and uh it is I think like you said they are perfectly matched in a way and that's part of the storytelling but it's also part of their performances um I want to talk briefly about uh the David Strathan uh performance uh even though he is not maybe as big of a role in as Kate Blanchett and Bradley Cooper I think that his performance was really critical because it's kind of a look at um, maybe an alternate future for the character of Bradley Cooper in a way. And, and, uh, I thought that their relationship and how they played off of one another. And then the way that Tony Collette plays off of David Strathen and how that relationship had clearly, even though they were together, clearly was not the same as it once had been. And there, this movie is really good at, I think, showing the history of characters and especially over time how those relationships with each other have developed and there's this isn't really much of a spoiler but there's a point where they skip two years ahead yeah in this movie and you sense that things are different oh yeah changed in those two years and that that has to a lot to do with the way that actors are interact with one another on screen and i felt like the david strathen character was um he had heart to this movie where the, this movie's really dark uh-huh. and heart there in his character and he's kind of the reminder of what what we should be doing or what we need to be doing instead you know yep he's yeah kind of the character of wisdom in all of it and you don't get the feeling that he's as menacing as some of the other people that Bradley Mm -hmm. Cooper gets involved with um and in a way I think because Tony Collette's character there's some menacing aspects to her um almost right away you get that uh, because of some things that take place but uh I I think that um that David uh, Strathen's character is uh, kind of balances her out a little bit right. and kind of brings her back to uh, maybe being a little bit more of this yeah the kind of that wisdom I think mm-hmm. that the two of them together um, I think they're very good <laughs> and Tony Collette's a great actress too so like this is a, a I think a good character and I think it also that character being involved in this reveals something about Bradley Cooper that wouldn't be there if her character wasn't as involved. Right. A hundred percent. And we could talk about plenty of others, but I think we do should talk about Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Movie. Uh, he is 
an important character for the story, obviously, but it's just like the type of role that you can't imagine any actor but Willem Dafoe playing. And he's almost, he's almost like, even though he's bigger than life, a lot of the time, it still feels so real. And like, you could buy that this guy exists or existed at some point and that he is, he is at the same time menacing, but also just like, I don't know. He, he's at a, a presence that you don't want to mess with in this movie. And um, there's something sinister. And that's just a lot to do with just what Willem Dafoe can bring to a role. But uh, yeah, it, and that is a character that, you know, develops further as you get to know him. And that, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think he is definitely a standout in the film. And uh, I think actually, I'd say he's my third favorite performance in the film. Mm -hmm. um, just because it's Willem Dafoe and Willem Dafoe always brings it if, if the director allows him to bring it. And that yeah. certainly is the case here. Um, I think there are a couple more that we definitely need to talk about. Um, and that would be Rooney Mara and uh richard jenkins um because of their uh just how important their characters are to the film um they they're both good i think that they're both a little bit more reserved in the way that they are portrayed um because i think the film does need a little bit of balance in that way where you have characters that are maybe a little bit more normal um but I think they were both really, really, really well cast. Uh, who did they say they were considering? They, one of the people they were considering for that role was Lady Gaga. And I feel like that would have changed it entirely because of Lady Gaga's presence on the screen. Um, and so I feel like that this, this portrayal was probably better because of that um yeah. there's somebody else and i can't remember who it was uh off the top of my head i but can tell I, you that lady gaga in this role would not have worked for me i, I think rooney mara does a really good oh. job it's honestly i think it, it's kind of a it's an easy role for her to play i don't yeah. know i think she's a much more talented actor than this role really allows her to show um she has a couple really good scenes in this movie but something I do have to say about her um, is, especially early on in the movie, we got more of a joyful side of Rooney Mara, which we don't get very often. Um, she usually plays a really tragic character. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there is some tragedy to the character she plays in this, which I think works for her style. But um, it was kind of fun to get to see her a little bit more lighthearted at times, um, which we, we didn't get. Um, the other actress they were considering for this was Jennifer Lawrence. Did they just say, let's just find Bradley Cooper's two previous. Uh, <laughs> and I guess so. That was it. Okay. Uh, wow. That's interesting. Uh, well, and that, that's another thing that we should say too, is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe people can disagree with this, but it seems like Bradley Cooper has really good chemistry with everybody. Like he, he is an actor who is, I'm sure really generous to work uh, against or like to work with, to be able to be in a scene with, because he's not going to steal the show from you. He is going to give back what you put into the scene. Yeah. I mean, in, and specifically with females, cause we talk about that a lot. Um, 
chemistry kind of in in the way that uh, male and females in a heterosexual uh, kind of situation uh, plays out. And there are essentially three uh, kind of relationships that we see in some sort of way that he has with females throughout this film. And uh, yet the chemistry is good on all of them. Like mm -hmm. there's that chemistry there, which is not an easy thing to do. Right. And, you know, it, it is fun to see how he is changing as a character with each one of those people. Um, right. because he's a performer at the end of the day. Yep. That is what he's doing most of the time is putting on a performance for people. And there's also, I think, an interesting dynamic with how he is interacting with some of those older characters as well. Uh, the Richard Jenkins character. Yes. Who, who, you know, he has to be able to be consoling to him at the same time as guilt him at the same time as like control the performance of it at times to be able to make sure things don't get out of hand. And Richard Jenkins is clearly somebody who is on edge and uh, that there's a tension in almost every scene between them. And that is really good tension for the movie. Like it's not a, I mean, there's the, it's not, it's weird to say they have chemistry because like they're, they shouldn't be characters that really have chemistry, but the scenes are really dynamic when they're together. Yep. I, I agree with that. Um, let's talk. Are you okay moving away from performance yeah. here? And we can talk yeah. about some of the other uh, production stuff that goes along with this. Um, let's talk about the aesthetic and the way that uh, it physically looks. Um, we, I think we both agree that Wes Anderson is a master when it comes to production design and kind of the aesthetic, but Guillermo del Toro is right there. Um, all of his movies have a very signature aesthetic to them and uh, he goes all out. And when you think about this, this production design here, this is absolutely amazing. Like mm -hmm. the way that this film looks from all of its sets is just brilliant. Uh, they had to create so many things for this. And then to not only kind of create that, that sort of magical feel of the carnival, but also kind of make it at the same time look dingy and run down and kind of like a sketch place to be like that is and then and then in kind of juxtaposition of that all of the like super elaborate wealthy stuff that we see later in the film man like this is up there with some of the greatest production design i have ever seen well and also you have to think too that they have scenes where it's raining they have scenes where it's snowing and like that is another layer to the production of like getting something to be able to look that way. Sometimes that is enhanced in the post-production, wow. but a lot of the time, especially the snowy scenes, like that well, had to be part of that production, you know? Um, I know that a lot of that was visual effects, but it looked very, very good. Something that I was looking into. So this is a, I think this might be a good, point of contention where I am pretty irritated with the Academy um, because they announced shortlist this week and uh, this missed for visual effects. It missed for cinematography. It missed for sound. And 
uh, it missed four score. And all, all of those, I feel like it deserves to at least be on a short list uh, mm-hmm. because I think that it is of high quality. I read that they put in afterwards over 900 visual effects in this film, and you wouldn't be able to tell. Um, this film looks so, 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 so good in something that maybe, maybe I'm missing uh, the craft of visual effects, but I am much more impressed with a film like this where you can put in lots of visual effects that look very real and I can't tell the difference than um, films like last night I went and saw the the Matrix, uh, the new Matrix film. And that movie is so overdone with visual effects. And even though they're pretty good, you know, it's fake. Right. I'm just so much more impressed with a blending of real and in fake to a point where I can't really tell that it's that it's fake. Um, And I know it's hard once you get into like the sci-fi movies and they're just things, you know, aren't real. So clearly it's fake, but um it irritates me. It irritates me that uh, they can't give um, more credit to these visual effects uh, folks that, that do work that make it so that films look absolutely amazing to the point that you can't tell necessarily what's real and what's been added after production. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And I'm surprised that it didn't. First of all, I thought the score was really good. And especially considering this guy was thrown in kind of last minute because they were going to have Alexandre Desplat do the uh, score and then he couldn't because of COVID restrictions. And so they, uh, I can't remember something Johnson is his name. I can't remember his first name, but he uh, did the score and it is a really solid score given, especially given the fact that this didn't, uh, that, that he didn't have as much time with it. The other thing is, Talk about cinematography. The lighting in this movie oh. is some of the best lighting I have seen all year. Um, and this plays right into what you were talking about with just how good Guillermo del Toro is with just creating an aesthetic. And that lighting is, it, there's a shine to it, but there's also a, the, the darkness of every shot is there too. He highlights the the brightness and the darkness in yep. every single frame. And that is, I think shows a, a reality and it fits thematically with the movie that there's a brightness to this story. There's a darkness there as well. And uh, gosh, that is uh, actually a huge disappointment that this isn't on the short list, at least for cinematography. Well, that makes me nervous about the film's potential success across the board if it's not on those short lists people aren't probably going to watch the film as much and it may end up losing out in some other categories that i think that it should be involved in and here here's what i will say as well is and this is this is a conversation about business but searchlight uh pictures is owned by disney now yeah disney has ultimately has more control about what they uh, campaign for for uh the oscars uh something that happened earlier they they also uh were campaigning the last duel they didn't even spell jody comer's name correctly for the for your consideration and like it i mean i know that 
may seem like such a little thing, but I, I think that they legitimately do not give a crap about these types of movies. And that is truly disappointing because yep. uh, this, this is a great movie and it only made it like a million dollars on its opening weekend because wow. it was against Disney. That, and I know we're going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's important because there are a lot of good movies that miss out. And there's this such this huge push about getting movies back into the theater. And yeah, I like to see movies in the theater. I loved getting to see this movie in the theater because I think that there are elements to it that look more amazing in the theater. But uh, it's it's not playing on screens. So I really wanted to see this at the Alamo Draft House, but it's not playing at the Alamo Draft House because they have so many screens playing the new Spider-Man. Um, and, and so like, this is the sort of movie where um, it probably would benefit it to have it be a streamer movie because people will actually see the movie. Um, if people are going to have to make a choice about what they're going to go and see in the theaters, uh, they're going to choose movies like the matrix and they're going to choose movies like Spider-Man. Um, and so movies like nightmare alley get pushed out. I, uh, they, because I went and saw this um, on the same day that the matrix was released, I had been planning on seeing it at a closer theater to me uh, for a morning showing. Um, but because I went on the day that the matrix was released, they had moved all their times around. And so it got booted and it wasn't even at that theater. Um, and so I had to go further to go see this movie. Um, and, and this is, this like the last duel is a movie that I think a lot of people would have maybe liked quite a bit if they marketed it better. And if it was not like we, we are, movie theaters have just become essentially the playground for every big blockbuster movie that comes out. And it is a bummer that that is the case. I saw somebody say something like, um, if 20 years ago you told me that uh, the uh, new Spider-Man movie was destroying the Steven Spielberg directed West Side Story at the box office, no one would have believed you because Steven yep. Spielberg used to have such clout and such a name. Yep. And uh, West Side Story being a big movie, in spite and superhero movies at the time weren't they were big, but they weren't you know. Well, and West Side Story is another Disney uh, production, and so that's the movie that they're pushing as, uh, for for awards compared to everything else. So. Um, yeah. This is, this is the problem when you have one company that owns everything, big, a big share of the big movies that are coming out because then you have great movies that aren't going to get recognized because they're not going to put the time or energy into it, which is kind of bull crap because they have more than enough resources to do so. No, oh, totally. They could, they could put four or five movies into the, uh, mix and then just kind of see how they play out. And you might end up winning a bunch of different awards down the line if people are going to see those movies. So anyway, that was me on my my soapbox about how I'm irritated this movie is not getting the love that it deserves. Um, and I think that it still has an outside chance of getting into Best Picture. 
Um, but with these short lists, that definitely makes me feel less likely. Uh, up to this point, I had it as my number 10 movie in. Um, I think it might get left out. Uh, and that's a huge, huge bummer because this is an absolutely fantastic film. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think maybe the one other thing that I wanted to discuss and we can talk about some story stuff probably without spoiling too much, but um, there is uh, a, a part of Kate Blanchett's character that I wish we would have maybe gotten a little bit more of or a little bit more explanation behind kind of some of the motivations or the decisions that were made. And uh, that left me a little bit feeling like that I was missing something or that I, I maybe misunderstood something. And so that I think is maybe the strongest area where I felt this movie did, maybe didn't kind of quite mat, meet that threshold of perfection. You know, um, I ended up giving this a nine out of 10. I think story-wise, there's an argument to be made that, that some of the stuff in the first hour maybe could be a little slow and then there's that stuff later with the Kate Blanchett character that I wish could have been cleaner. But otherwise, I, I thought the story was engaging. And the main thing that I like about this story is I truly did not know what was going to happen. And yeah. I, I felt like there, there's a sequence that I would consider probably the climax of the movie, the major turning point of the movie. And I was noticing while watching it just how much it was having an effect on me as I was watching that play out. My heart was like actually beating and like really, like really hard. And I was, I could feel like the, that the dread of the moment that was about to occur. And um, yeah, I, I have not had a movie kind of have that big of an effect on me yet this year. And so that, I mean, Guillermo del Toro knows how to create tension in a movie. It, it's Hitchcockian yeah. at times. The, yeah. Oh, it's red doubt. Like it feels that way. And, and there were times where it felt a little bit like uncut gems. Mm. Um, there were times where it felt a little bit like the prestige. Mm. Um, and those are both two movies that I really, really like. <laughs> and there's a reason that I like them. And it's kind of, you get that same feel here. Um, one other thing, and this just has to do with the theme of the movie that this is a movie that to me and, it, the more I thought about it, the more I loved this idea is it, it feels very meta that this is a movie about performers or people trying to manipulate the way you think about something. And like, that's what storytelling does sometimes. Yeah. And I think that there's maybe a, a level to which Guillermo del Toro is maybe commenting on the role of like a director that this isn't real in the way you think it is, but even though it's not real, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have huge consequences or huge impacts on people. And I felt like we, in the movie, the things that people do, you get to see the consequences that occur because of the way that he's manipulating people. But we are then asked to question, what's the consequence or what's the way that we are changed because of the stories that we're told? And that is a very powerful thing to to hear in a story and to see from somebody who's such a powerful storyteller 
Yeah, I uh, I didn't necessarily pick up on that, but I, I think that that's a very kind of important thing um, to to bring up, especially now because I saw these movies back to back with the Matrix Resurrections. One of the things that that about that film is that it's like meta beyond meta beyond meta like that's the entirety of what that movie is about and that what you just said is proof that you doesn't need to be in your face and it can still kind of be effective in a a way that doesn't almost insult you as a audience member um it's like okay i get the point no like this that there's there's layers to this film um in the way that it is being told i think this is a fantastic allegory um that really has kind of this message of uh playing with fire um, both yeah. metaphorically and physically uh yeah. it, it, that does like it just doesn't insult you there's things like Guillermo del Toro does not feel the need to um give you everything on a platter right um and allows you to kind of piece some things together in much the same way that Jane Campion does with Power of the Dog yeah. and uh these are probably two of my most favorite directorial films of the last decade now because they they are just done with such craft and art and uh for somebody that i kind of have always i've never really loved the monster part of guillermo del toro and how he brings monsters into a lot of his movies are kind of like these mystical creatures and the fact that this doesn't have that i think is like finally he made a movie for rob carriher <laughs> <laughs> that that uh even even though there's kind of like this bigger than life aspect to it and then it goes a little bit beyond um what you probably could get away with in real life uh there's still so much realism grounded on it and that there are human elements that make this very intriguing and yeah i just i enjoyed it thoroughly and i can't wait to see it again well the people are the monsters in this story yes they are they're the monsters and that there are things that at times feel very mystical in the story and maybe magical but there's a, you, you everything can be interpreted as reality or a or or something that was manipulated by a person and and so from that aspect there's there's certain levels of you know you question at times is this really happening or is this yeah. and into that note i do want to mention one last thing that i really liked about the movie uh there's this after we kind of are introduced to the bradley character bradley cooper character at the very beginning there's a sequence where he's on a bus and they kind of do something with the lighting where he's he seems to be falling asleep on the bus and then he wakes up and he goes out into this carnival and in that sequence there's an interpretation there and i don't think that this is the interpretation of the movie it's just there's something to be said that in that moment he is entering a dream or a nightmare yeah and that is uh something that maybe impacts the reading of the movie i don't i don't believe that the movie takes place in a dream but that's just an interesting right. way to think about how everything after that is going to play out yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think it's a special film and one that 
the longer it lingers with me, the more I'm going to appreciate. And the more times I see it, the more I'm going to appreciate this. Um, and so, yes, if you have a chance to go out and see Nightmare Alley uh, in the theaters, do it. If not, as soon as it gets to video on demand, I highly recommend renting it um, and, and just taking in everything that goes with this film. I couldn't agree more. So I think that wraps up our conversation about Nightmare Alley. Um, we'll probably be back in a few days with something new, uh, whether that's licorice pizza or something else. But um, I, we, we definitely have a lot of other films that we want to talk about. So until then, have a great week. We'll see you later.